1: Everybody, welcome to the GG TMC. We are back on the hard drives of all you lovely people out there. (laughs) Trying to trying to do a little bit of a loaf impersonation there. He's like, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I kind of always enjoy that the way he comes in there. So (laughs) he's very excited. Silver and gold in your ear holes. (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, so we are back. This week we have uh, a listener uh, program show that from our uh, Kickstarter campaign. We have uh, picks from dear friend of the show, Forrest Whitaker's neck. Uh, yes. That's what he's mostly known as on the air, so that's what we'll keep it at. Uh, we know him as Steve as well, Stephen, but, you know, whatever. We're going to roll with this. Uh, he selected uh, 1986's. 86's. Band of the Hand, uh, directed by one Paul Michael Glazer, who also played Starsky, I believe, in Starsky and Hutch. Yes. And 1987 uh, is The Majorettes, directed by one uh, Bill Heinzman, who also has a colorful past.
2: Yeah, very. I wonder if he knew when he programmed this show that both of his films were programmed by actors, or um, were both the films he picked were directed by actors.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you know that. I mean,. What I think is kind of interesting is a lot of people are selecting films from the uh, 80s, right around the same ballpark, or either that or this seems like lately we're hanging in there right between like 85 and 87. <laughs> yeah, with the Demons films and yeah. um, uh, what's it called? Uh,
2: Sloan, not so much uh, a revolt, but right, it's, right, you know, right.
1: very interesting. Yeah, right, right. you're right. Just that, that small window of time. Just interesting. But, uh, I know he had talked about, uh, the Majorettes for a long time and I had never seen the Majorettes. So this no. was my first time seeing it. I mean, i I was aware of it, but I'd never seen it. Of course, band of the hand, I had seen several times. So, but we'll get to that when we get there. Um, so what else am I thinking? Oh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to announce, but I don't think there is. Um, I do want to uh, kind of tease on the air a little bit. We're trying to work up something special for episode 200 mm-hmm. and, uh. Working on some scheduling and stuff, but we're going to bring some uh, some people on with us for that one, and hopefully this will all work out. It was just kind of a wacky idea, but it it seemed like the right time, right place to do what we're going to be doing. So just a tease, put it out there, baby. You know, tease a little bit. <laughs> but I was just thinking about that right before we started recording. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Uh, what what have you been watching, Lars? William, we've been up to that?
2: Uh, I had a a pretty interesting week. Um, I started my week off, I took a bunch of blues to my dad's house because me and the boys went, uh, they live about an hour and a half east of here. Um, It's pretty nice, you know, a nice area as far as um, uh, you know, some nice country and so forth. Um, So I thought, oh my dad, he's a guy that got me into films, it's gonna be great to to watch something with him when my kids go to bed because when I'm there On a normal visit, it's like I'm chasing kids and we're running around the yard, you know, doing stuff like that. So um, we didn't end up getting to watch one, but we just kind of stumbled onto one. Um, And it was kind of cool the way it worked out. It was a Billy Wilder film, Love in the
1: Afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm aware Um, of it. I've never seen it.
2: Yeah, and I, I certainly had never seen it. Um, I don't think I've seen any while there maybe one or two at the very most. He's a director I c- c- we need to catch up with. So it's funny. So the movie comes, the movie's on. It's you know a few minutes in, and he goes, "Oh, that's um, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember the, guy, the actor's name now." Uh, Marcel is it Marcel? Uh, anyway, it was a, it was a French name that I, I didn't recognize. He said, "Oh, that's so and so." I said, "Oh, okay." Then I said, "Oh, that's John MacGyver." Uh, And I've never said his name aloud, and I didn't realize that he shared uh, uh, a sounding last name with, of course, Angus MacGyver of TV show fame. (laughs) But uh, he he was in a lot of Jerry Lewis films. So then age Audrey Hepburn came on and uh, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it was an interesting film. And, uh, you know, Wilder is pretty well-renowned and for good reason. So it was cool to kind of watch that with my dad. It was like 1130 at night, and we're, we're riffing on this film together and figuring out what it is together so it was kind of cool and fitting because he's the guy that really truly my love of film is is, I'm indebted to him for that so right right that was cool um then I watched what I can with complete confidence say is the best film I've seen all year uh and it it will be in my top 10 I kind of have a hunch what this one is because I kind of saw some talking going on oh yeah uh Paolo Sorrentino's This Must Be the Place yeah uh what a piece of film man it's really fantastic um It's easy on the surface to dismiss it as
1: quirk for quirk's sake. Well, I think the cover doesn't do it any favors. It doesn't. (laughs) It really doesn't. I mean, it really doesn't do the film any favors. But, you know, I mean, I understand what they're going for there, but I mean, wow, it really doesn't do the film any favors.
2: There's so many other options they could have chose cover-wise. The cover is pretty awful, and... You know, it's if I didn't know it and I wasn't a Sean Penn fan, I am a big Sean Penn fan, other than it's kinda of douchey stuff in real life, but um if I wasn't a Sean Penn fan I saw that stupid cover, I think, oh <laughs> fuck this movie. Because he essentially plays like a Robert Smith type character of the Q of Cure fame. This old eighties, you know, kind of uh romantic gothy rocker. Um it really, it's a tremendous film. We're going to cover it on the show at some point, because I really want to chew the fat with you on it, and I know David Alcock was frothing at the bit to to come on and do that show with him. I said, absolutely, you know, it'd be great. It, it really feels to me like um, Sorrentino. It's his English-language debut. It, it really feels like him riffing on uh, Vim Vendor's Parish, Texas.
1: Okay. All so right. That sounds, it sounds interesting.
2: Oh, fuck. So good. So good. So that was that. Uh, and then I... I Stuck in a little film with my wife that uh, I really, I hope a lot of our, our listeners check out. It's called Sleep Tight. Um, it's a Spanish film. Uh, I can't remember his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, Yom or Yom Balaguerro. I think he was one of the guys that did the rec series. Wame. Wham? Wame. Wham- Wham- maybe? I don't know. <laughs> that name's getting butchered
1: by me, at least. <laughs> hopefully not you. But Yeah. Uh, we sound like idiots, but hey, whatever. <laughs> whatever, man. That's the way it goes. But yeah, he um, is involved in the, uh, well, he was involved in the rec films, right?
2: Yeah, I think Racker. He's been involved in some genre films lately. Right. Um, I'm you know going to look him up because I'm completely like curious now. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, this is a fucking fantastic little thriller. It's, uh, it's a nasty one, too. It's about a guy who's a concierge um, at a higher-end condo in Madrid or, or Barcelona, and he, he's pretty obsessed with uh, one of the female residents. Yeah. And the lengths he goes to keep fueling his obsession yeah this is
1: this is his first solo effort it fucking gets
2: down and dirty and really nasty okay and I, it was a nice little surprise i mean i'm not saying it's earth shattering but i'll tell you man there's a couple more i was really on the edge of my seat it, it's a good little film i hope people check it out sleep tight it's called yeah and i think it, it might i don't know maybe it's not on instant i don't know but uh yeah good stuff uh decided to stay in spain and i watched uh, peppy lucy bomb which is um i've been posting screenshots of uh uh the past day or so it was uh almodovar's uh first uh or maybe second film and uh it was one of the box sets i bought and again those box sets are on amazon uk dirt cheap um ridiculously cheap it's it's a fucking great film um he shot it for like 20 grand you know, it's uh, he's got Carmen Mallory in it, who I've kind of fallen in love with. I think she's she's great, uh, great actress. She's not really beautiful, but something about her I find pretty captivating. It's a good film. It, it has a lot of his. <laughs> I mean, you see a woman willingly get pissed on by another, like a punk rocker teenage chick. There's S and M. There's cock measuring contests. Oh. Um, there's there's tranny porn. I mean. It had a lot of the ha- it's a very punk rock firm, uh, film from Amadovar so it's interesting to see it's, it's more John Waters than a lot of his other films despite their spiritual connection to John Waters so good, good little film if a little rough around the edges. Hmm. Um, then I watched a pretty short documentary about Donnie and Joe Emerson. Uh, they were a really interesting story that you could have seen sort of, sort of a 90 minute documentary about them. There were two uh, brothers in uh, the Pacific Northwest they were farmers. They were kind of cut off from everything in the 70s, and their dad plunked down at the time a hundred grand to build them their own studio on the farm, so they could record an album called Dreamin' Wild. Um, Light in the Attic Records has just re-released it, um, and these guys—it's just kind of—it blew me away. I heard a couple of tracks off the album on a few mixtapes I've been listening to over the past few months, and uh, it's just a tremendous, tremendous. Uh, sound these two young brothers had uh, pretty cool little story so anyway it's a short documentary just put out by Light in the Attic Records uh, kind of about the story about their dad and stuff um, then I watched Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown which is of course another Almodovar I hadn't seen I'm trying to get through all the stuff because I, hasn't, I hadn't seen again fantastic stuff um, yeah I mean, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's, it's fucking incredible. And I finished off my week with a little Jackie Chan directorial effort that I hadn't seen in a long time. Project A. Uh, it's got him, Yun uh, Biao, and Sammo in it. Um, it's sort of navy or nautical uh, set with some pirates and some pretty astounding stuff. It always reminds me that you know the shit Chan does in his films, and he was at his peak in the '80s. That. Um, it's just—it's mind blowing to see the the stuff he does physically and the stunts and and how he choreographs things and, and brings in inanimate objects, uh, much like the way um, Buster Keaton did, you know, in the twenties and, and so forth. So, yeah, not not a great film, but some of the set pieces with the fighting are just—I mean, oh, wow!
1: Wasn't it one of the ones where he got uh, hurt on pretty bad? Uh, no, maybe I, think, was, I can't remember which one it was, but it seems like know. it might have been that one.
2: I think it might it's either that one or maybe Armor of God. I think it's I the mean, one with an A in it where he yeah. really fucking he split his skull or something. Yeah. Like. You might be right. It might be Armor of God. Cause I know in this one there's a stunt where he and you see it, it's it's shot like sort of medium range. So it's not like it cuts. Where he falls from a roof through two canopies and you can see he hits on his fucking like chin first. Oof. And You're like Jesus. That's gotta hurt. And I thought, was this the one with the, with the fucking skull split that he did, or whatever? Yeah. But I don't know. Either way, that motherfucker got
1: hurt. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, he's often said, and you can see it now. I mean, he's paying now in his later years for a lot of the stuff he did. Uh, he's very. It's 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 interesting. I know he doesn't do a lot of that stuff anymore. I pretty. I think he's pretty much stopped doing most of it, doesn't he? <laughs>
2: Yeah, in fact, the, this film is coming out um, this year, sometime this summer, I want to say, the trailer's out there. It's his la- going to be his last kind of really action-heavy film, mm-hmm. and it looks pretty good for what it is. Uh, I think he directed it as well. He plays sort of like a, a jewel thief, and it's got some pretty great stuff. I posted the trailer on our Facebook page a little while ago, yeah. um, but I don't blame him, because I'll tell you, it's funny you were saying that, because I was thinking as I was watching it, and you know, getting a little older myself, and you too, and... And I thought, fuck, man, that guy's got to hurt in the morning. He's got to feel like worse than Nick Nolte does in the beginning of of uh, North Dallas Forty. Yeah, that's
1: what I was thinking of. I was thinking the exact <laughs> same thing, man. Nick Nolte in North Dallas Forty, oh, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my week. It was a good week. Uh, how was your week, man?
1: Uh, well, not as prolific, but uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, um, I watched. Uh, I've been watching these on uh, Netflix. They have these classic album documentaries. I don't. And I've been watching those. Uh, you know, like just looking at them because I mean I'm a big oh, yeah, I am a big uh, classic rock fan stuff so I've been watching that kind of stuff off and on and here and there but I did get a couple films in I watched uh, Hostile Part Three which is also on Netflix Instant <laughs> well, I'd seen you'd watch that
2: I was very curious to hear this on air what uh, <laughs> what the
1: verdict is yeah well this here's the thing Scott Spiegel directed this and you know obviously it's you know it's a cash in type thing because you know the other two were pretty popular and made some money so you know you would think that. They go ahead and make another. And, and and for what it is, the direction by Spiegel is good. The film looks good and stuff. But, man, this movie is boring. Was it? <laughs> and that's kind of amazing to say about a hostile movie. You expe- there's it's, it's weird. It's like you expect a certain amount of chaos and carnage in a hostile film. This one, you know, nothing really happens until about 35 minutes in, and it's only an hour and 27 minutes long.
2: <laughs> Where is it set? Like, what's the, what's the hook for this film?
1: This time, they move it over to Vegas. I mean, they oh, see, wow. see, there's a lot of, I, I feel like, you know, because there's this underground culture in Hostel, you know, with the Bloodhound thing and all that mm-hmm. stuff, there's a lot of room to move it around everywhere, but, <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a good idea, that works, and then... And uh this should be interesting and stuff. So, you know, you get a bachelor party set up, you know, you kinda know what's gonna happen, but it it just it it doesn't really follow through. And it's funny because I think it's it's hostile's reputation that hurts hostile part three more than hostile part three itself. You see what I'm saying? If it,
2: if it was like titled uh you know, slaughter in Vegas or something. It it might have yeah. been looked at a little bit more favorably.
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I just think you know. I don't think anybody else can make hostile films, but Eli Roth. I just think, yeah, his mind is sick enough to go there. As far as this, you know, quote unquote torture porn is 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 said. But I mean, I just I don't know. Just, I thought Scott Spiegel would bring it a little bit because he's known for his uh, shooting effects and some things he does, and he directs the film fine. It's just uh, I don't know. I was I was just bored, but. It's pretty average, you know, that's what I would say. Bummer. And I,
2: I quite like the hostile films, and I know you do, too. I yeah, think.
1: yeah. So I thought, you know, even if this is bad, it'll be pretty okay, which, you know, I guess it is, but you know, maybe out of curiosity, check it out, but not blown away. And the acting was pretty rough, too. That was probably another problem. I uh, Not that the hostile films are known for their acting, but, you know. Oh,
2: no, but they, they bring a certain level of of
1: uh, well, I I competence. Think, I mean, I've said before, and I'll say it again, you know, two is is a very very well made film, so you know maybe we'll talk about them someday in the future, yeah, you know, give them some time to settle in uh the other film I watched, which was also a curiosity, uh but it came in the mail through the Netflix uh I put all the uh newer releases on Blu-ray at the top of my queue, so that way you know I don't go to the rental you know there's no rental stores anymore. I should say there's practically <laughs> nothing around me it was only a red box, and uh so you know, I put them all at the top of my queue, and just whenever they show up, they show up, so in the mail showed up. Conan the Barbellion From 2011 oh. so, so you know I'm a Conan fan uh, You know I love the first film <laughs> I love the second film <laughs> Um <laughs> For different reasons Uh This is a A reboot, So to speak Uh Nispel uh, Marcus Nispel I think is how you say his name Uh uh-huh. Um This film looks good As you would expect From uh Nispel at this point I mean he's got a real Good eye right? Yeah he does and He makes his films Look really good Uh The film isn't great, but I gotta say, the film is very enjoyable.
2: Yeah, man, a lot of people have been kind of vouching for it. I know John Ross is a fan. I think Zom digs it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a mind blower, but man, it was, it was pretty fun. It was nice and gory, and by gory, I mean nice and wet. Uh, There was excessive nudity in spots. Uh, Fuck! What was it like? A was it R rated? I think it was R rated. Yeah. Yeah. Shit!
2: I gotta check it out, man. That might be one that I could watch with the wife.
1: Yeah, and uh, the lead who plays Conan, you know, he's he's kind of known. He's been on Game of Thrones, and uh, I think on the Stargate show and stuff. He's this big uh, Polynesian actor, I believe. I think his name's Jason Momoa or something like that. But Uh he 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 he's got a great magnetism, a great charisma to the camera because he's just got this great look to him and everything and uh he could be a, he could be a really big star um one of the things i know one of our listeners i can't remember who it was said you know that it was kind of rough because the the accents would go in and out like stephen lang's in here playing the heavy which is funny because i watched two stephen lang's this, movies this week and didn't even mean to <laughs> um here he's playing his you know his modern day heavy whereas back in the day he played his <coughs> oh we will talk about lawyer his old school heavy indian <laughs> joe and um it, it, it's interesting his his accent kind of comes and goes. Uh, Rose McGowan's a little all over the place. She I could probably do without her. She's a little I, I don't know. I can't take her leave her sometimes. And uh, but a lot of the acting good. I do think that they made a mistake. It's almost it's parody at this point to have Morgan Freeman do the narration for your film. Yeah, that that I think that was a mistake because I was almost laughing like right at the get go. I was like, oh come on.
2: Seriously. And isn't he better served to narrate sort of feel-good life experience stories now than bloody (laughs) uh, skull-splitting? What's it? uh, Sumerian? Yeah, Sumerian barbarian uh, tales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that might not work. Like, maybe get someone who's like, you know who would be good to narrate? It would be like Ray Winston or someone. Yeah,
1: yeah, somebody like that. Someone with a gruff voice, not so much a an eloquent voice but uh it should also be said uh ron perlman cast as conan's father a barbarian <laughs> perfect nice maybe the most perfect casting of ron perlman's career <laughs> do we see him in furs oh dude he has the most excessive furs i think i've ever seen on any character nice. to the point to where he looks like he's about eight foot wide <laughs> it's ridiculous i'm like how's he even moving around in that get up Jeez, but uh, pretty good stuff. It, it's not—it's not bad. It, it, let me say, it won't blow your mind, but it will keep you entertained. And it's—it's it's only like an hour and forty minutes, maybe. But is on Blu- any, Blu-ray, looks great.
2: Yeah, I can imagine it would. Yeah, you know, seeing this spell. Uh, is there? Does uh, Conan ride a horse at any point when he's with his father?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. It's
2: been unfortunate. I was hoping that his father would say to him, "That's one fine ass pussy mobile, motherfucker."
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good uh, father-son moments, though, between the two. Uh, not not as Jason Momoa, but as a child Conan. There are some good moments and stuff. And there's That's some good, nice. you know, there's some good henchmen too. It should be said. Yeah. What uh, what was the classic rock when you watched? I don't remember what you said. Oh, I watched uh, two of them. I didn't check in with the other one last night. I, before I went to sleep, I watched uh, the making of a uh, Deep Purple's Machine Head, and then I watched uh, what I watched. Uh, oh, uh, Black Sabbath, Paranoid nice yeah so i checked out those and stuff very cool how uh, long are they about 40 minutes long or yeah 50 minutes about 50 cool. minutes about an hour long uh, they're good they're good and i mean uh some of them you know i, I haven't watched them all but you know I've, I've been just kind of going through and picking the ones of albums i actually really love right now i haven't mm-hmm. really kind of come like. there's one for fleetwood max rumors there's one for oh, wow uh, duran duran's uh big album there's 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 all kinds of them so uh i'm looking forward to that kind of going through and Watching those and stuff; those those are good uh, time wasters, you know, for me. As I've said before, I usually have TV on because uh, it's not like I can sit around and watch films with a two year old running around like a wild man. Yeah. Uh, So sometimes (laughs) I'll just have something on to listen to while uh, while playing with uh, cars with him or or uh, wrestling or any number of things that we're doing. So there we go. Well,
2: those are perfect for things more. Even I almost treat ones like that or like the. The Louis Thoreau ones now, like um, certain documentaries, lend themselves to just kind of be listened to almost like an audio book that you can kind of get away with not really looking much.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's kind of how I treat them as well. I mean, because you know that that type of documentary, it's not cinematic at all, so you don't need to pay attention to the actual craft. It's all talking heads uh, and remembering things. And if you miss anything, you can just you know wind it a little bit and hear it. So it's not really it's not bad at all. So. That's what I use them for. Similar as to how I use most sitcoms I watch, if I watch any and blah blah blah. Anyway, all right, so uh we're going to get into our film coverage here. We're going to take a short break and come back and uh what do you want to talk about first here? I mean, either one I'm game for. Um,
2: yeah, uh let's talk a little band of the hand, I guess. So, either way, yeah, I'm fine. But let's do band of
1: the hand, I guess. All right, we'll do band of the hand. We'll be back right after this.
0: Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn and smartphone apps Social media marketing you have questions, we have answers I Has Podcast is the only social media marketing podcast That brings you the latest news, websites, apps And helpful tips on social media and online marketing Download it each week to stay up to date with what to do And how to do social media marketing Visit us at icanhaspodcast.com And follow us on Twitter at icanhaspodcast Punk punk punk, 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 punk,
1: punk, punk, punk. All right, we are back. <laughs> it's hard for me whenever I hear that song. It's hard for me not to laugh. Oh, it's a I'm a ah, de- am a de- ah. De- <laughs> oh man, this is Fuck. hilarious. And <laughs> he died young. Yeah. rest in peace.
2: But. <laughs> oh, God. Man, me and my my brother, that was the song that we used to mock the
1: most when we were kids, man. Yeah, yeah. So
2: it, ridiculous. It,
1: it, it's one of those songs where in hindsight, you look back on it like almost, how did this ever become as big as it became, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. There's there's a, uh, I don't know if you guys have a BET channel in Canada, here in America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we okay. were- yeah. Black Entertainment Channel or whatever. Park
2: in, it was, was it, Park in 105, 105 on yeah. Park or
1: something? So, so what's funny is is that uh, that song, that video became huge on BET because, what? you know, it was, it was crazy, man. I was like, that's where I actually first saw the video for the song when I was younger. I was like watching BET because I was, you know, listening to a little, you know, little soul, a little, a little rap, a little hip hop back in the day. And uh, um, this song comes on. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then, you know, it, it's got a hook to it. And mm-hmm. you, and you initially really like it, and then as time, of course, time has not been kind to it. But you know that that's just the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> you could say the same thing about the clothing in our films we're getting ready to talk about. So, oh yes. <laughs> so, do you want to synopsize uh, Band of the Hand, or you want me to? I uh, you know, I'll take. Yeah, a I, I, even though we had agreed on that, for some
2: reason I didn't see fit to um, to to bring up IMDb. But I can do it as but, you know. Uh, hey,
1: that's that's par for the course. So we're we're on our normal run here. Yeah. Because I it didn't have it up either because I just pulled it up just now. <laughs>
2: It certainly is. So I'm bringing it up on my phone. Cause I'm as usual draped over the uh, medicine ball here. Yeah. Um, superstar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he's got that fucking slicked hair, and he's just strutting around with all those powdered wig motherfuckers. Looks and... like,
1: looks like Stephen Lang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah he's, he's got a little more Grecian in his, uh, <laughs> his mane. Um, <laughs> so where are we here? Where's the? Uh, they just kind of done. Wow, they dot, dot, they just, ellipses or whatever, they, where the fuck is the actual, um, (laughs) okay, so I can, I think I can just work with this. In an attempt of re-socialization, five hopeless juvenile criminals are sent away from prison into the, and that's where it ends, so I'll say into the Florida Everglades to be um, trained by a quote-unquote Native American in the ways of the land, um, I'll leave it at that. I mean, whatever. It's it's
1: fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Band of the Hand. Now, if you had cable television in the '80s, you probably saw Band of the Hand often. Uh, I know. I, me and my brother, used to watch it all the time. Uh-huh. So, um, I saw. I've seen this quite a few times, and uh, it's one of those films that kind of criminally is is kind of hard to find. It's not. Uh, I don't think it's available anywhere, is it? Um, I don't
2: think it is other than a DVD that came out a long time ago. Yeah. It, it is one that because of its aesthetic would, would be pretty fun on blue.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 It's got some popping colors and stuff. Oh yeah. It could be fun. But uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of become it's kind of become a kind of a cult curiosity, I think, as time's gone on, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Um As we said before it was directed or in the intro, it was directed by Paul Michael Glazer. He's known as uh, Starsky from uh, Starsky. I believe he was Starsky. I think he was. Yep.
2: Yeah, he was Starsky.
1: He directed a few other films that are pretty well known. Um, the Running, Running Man, Man being a big one that a lot of people know. And there was another one in there in his uh, filmography that I'm quite a fan of. D.B. D. Sweeney's The Cutting Edge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Cutting Edge. and uh, Oh, yeah, and he's also infamously, he's, uh, he directed The Air there, the Kevin Bacon basketball movie, and Kazam, yeah. the Shaq Fuck. Genie movie. On fire near the back end of his career there, <laughs> yeah. and then he pretty much went to TV. Of course, Kazam would send a lot of directors to TV. I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's it. Go see you later. Yeah, but um, so that that's kind of the history of the film. Now the cast for this film is interesting. Uh, as I was saying uh, earlier in the intro, you know, I didn't know I watched two Stephen Lang films. Now, this is really is a Stephen Lang film in a lot of ways. He's the he's kind of our lead. Kind of uh, he's our counselor uh, so for lack of a better word uh our rambo-esque counselor his name's joe our, our miyagi or our mentor yeah yeah a mentor indian joe uh he's a, a florida indian in this film kind of a weird casting because i don't think stephen lang is remotely uh i believe he's totally uh, new york born and bred
2: i think he's an irish jewish fellow and yeah when i think of him i don't think at all of anything native
1: yeah so it's like the exact opposite of yeah you know, so it's a strange casting and stuff but Stephen Lang you know well respected actor well respected stage actor and is you know currently now uh, one of the go to guys for Hollywood heavies mm-hmm. uh, had a uh, arguably one of the best things in Avatar I would say not arguably I would say <laughs> I, I adored him in that film yeah.
2: very macho I, oh, he's so good in it
1: yeah and uh, you know Good and just about, you know, everything I've ever seen him in, I like him in. Uh, he's in a lot of bad films. Uh, he's in good films, too. But, I mean, he's always good. He's one of those actors, right? You know, he's he's always good. And he takes his uh, craft very seriously. I mean, so, you know, he's one of those actors that's well-respected among actors. I guess mm-hmm. that's the best way to speak about it. But, you know, he's got a look. So he doesn't really get the roles that, uh, you know, certain other people get. Let's put it that way. It's
2: a shame he hasn't had a more storied career um, in hollywood because mm-hmm. I, I just god at his age now i mean it, you know i just I wish he had, had done
1: more yeah yeah because i mean he was he's uh what is he 50 he's going on 60 almost he oh, is, yeah he yeah. could be 60 this year actually i think uh oh wow well, yeah he ooh, yeah he will be 60 in july 11th not too long from now but he works i mean and by saying i work i mean he doesn't uh hold back he you know, he's got 86 credits to his name, and he gets out there and just works. So you'll see him in all kinds of stuff. He's in Tombstone. I mean, and I remember him in Tombstone. I remember he played Babe Ruth in a TV movie I watched. So he's he's been all over the place and done all kinds of things. Um, matter of fact, this, he's one of those kind of actors where it's like, you know, there's probably something you've seen him in, even if you don't know who he is. Because mm-hmm. he's that kind of guy. Character actor looks... And stuff but he's got a real charisma to him um and then we got uh some other people in our cast we got lauren holly who had a brief uh, bit of fame in the 90s uh it's kind of disappeared now doesn't know her, yeah. hardly even looks like her in this film really john cameron mitchell who's went on to some good things i think he's a very solid filmmaker now Hedwig, yeah, yeah Hedwig, and uh he directed that other film i really dug well the film me and you dug uh whatchamacallit the uh nicole kidman uh was Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole, 2010.
2: Oh, shit, man. I didn't realize that at all. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, me I mean, you both dug that film quite a bit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's in here playing a very odd character.
2: <laughs> he's certainly, yeah, the quirky character in the bunch. You
1: got, uh, I'm just going to go with the ones we might know. Uh, Leon, he was pretty popular in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Mostly for being Madonna's... Muse. (laughs) And also just
2: being called Leon. (laughs) Yeah, being a one-name actor.
1: (laughs) One of these one-name guys. Uh, I'm trying to think of what what I may have seen him in first.
2: He did a few things. He actually had a a longer resume movie-wise than I would have thought.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember him now. He was in All the Right Moves with uh, Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise, which I was a fan of as a kid, and The Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon, which I was a big fan of. He played Fortune Smith in that one. Yeah, And uh, yeah, he's in Colors. He's in all kinds of stuff that, you know, grew up in Colors. We just talked about recently. Oh, he's in Cliffhanger. I forgot he was in Cliffhanger. Nice. So him and Jeff Blinn are in Cliffhanger. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Never thought I'd think about Leon and Jeff Blinn in the same film together. (laughs) Crazy. But we also get Larry Fishburne and uh, a really great sleazy performance from James Remar.
2: (laughs) Also missed cast because I think his name is like uh, Nestor Quintana or like he's got a very... Hispanic name, and he looks very waspy.
1: <laughs> he does. <laughs> it's
2: really bizarre, and uh, I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> I do want to say, too, just a piece of trivia for film, for movie or film fans. I don't know if you knew this, because you probably would have mentioned it. Uh, Carlos, the character Carlos, played by Danny Quinn. Yeah. Do you know who, who he is? Any-
1: I. <sighs> I know him a little bit. I do know that uh, looking at his research, when I was looking around and checking these actors out and stuff, he was actually in an episode of Don Mateo. <laughs>
2: Which is incredible. But if you look at his face, and when I say this, you're going to go, oh,
1: yeah.
2: You look at his IMDb photo, he is Anthony Quinn's son.
1: Oh, yeah, he is. How about yeah. that? I just clicked on him.
2: Very cool. Um, I had known that for a while. Um,
1: I wonder if he, he's he got two so, Yeah, he's got... The other son's in some stuff too, right, Quinn's son?
2: Yeah, and in fact, Danny Quinn worked a lot in Italy. Uh, other than Matteo, he did a few other things. Yeah, um I see that now. Yeah, that he'd worked in Italy. Um, I Maybe. can't remember anything off top of my that I'd seen, but um, yeah, he kind of toggled back and forth between
1: America and and Italy. So,
2: hmm. you
1: know. interesting. I yeah, didn't put that together. Yeah, Francesco Quinn is the uh, brother that actually uh, I think he's doing stuff now. Pretty. Uh, He's got he got a little bit of buzz around him. Mm. Uh, he's the one that uh, he's the one that played uh, Francesco Quinn is the one. Uh, it's not the buzz. He was in uh, Platoon. He played the one of the characters with all the tattoos and stuff. Or I can't remember, but he has this raspy voice. He has this really strange voice, a really kind of awesome voice. So if you see if if we ever do Platoon, which I think we will at some point in time, because I'd love to talk about it on the show. Uh, he's one of my favorite parts about Platoon. So. Yeah, I'd have, I don't remember him in it. Um, you will. We, it's one of those things where when you see Platoon again, you'll be like, ah. Oh. Because
2: of course, it's always for me. It's always, uh, of course, Defoe, Barringer and to a slightly lesser degree, um, uh, Keith David. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good actors in that film. A lot of good actors. Did we mention Paul Calderon was in this?
1: No, we didn't mention Paul. I was going to mention Paul Calderon. <laughs> I was going to mention Paul Calderon as well. So. But he, he's he's having a uh, he's a he's another Michael Mann staple. He and uh-huh. he he pops up in a lot of Michael Mann stuff. Uh, I, I like Paul Calderon. I don't know how so you feel I, about him. He, so he I like him. I He
2: has a likability. I think. Yeah,
1: he's definitely a character actor through and through. Uh-huh. Uh, and saying that like, you know he's got this unique look and stuff, but he always he's good. He's good in everything he does. But it's just you know his character stuff. And and of course Larry Fishburne is in the film as well with one of a these fucking <laughs> wicked haircut boy, amazing eighties haircut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right. So this is before Fishburne's resurgence. He kind of went through a dark period in the 80s, uh, the early 80s and stuff. So he was starting to kind of come back around. Uh, uh, but anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, so, I, you know, I, what I like about this film is, um, first of all, let me say, you know, this film opens with the TriStar label. I, I don't know how many TriStar films we've done, but I remember that being a big deal when I was a kid. Like, I always remember the TriStar opening. I'm glad you mentioned that because
2: as I was watching it, I meant... I thought the exact same thing to myself. God, that logo has so much association with my childhood.
1: Yeah.
2: It's and like, now, I mean, I think they're they're done now, right? Yeah, they're I done. Don't see it at all anymore. Yeah. So it's it's always really great to see that Pegasus come galloping out, and it's a
1: kind of overblown and.
2: Yeah.
1: Tristar, and that one was big, and so was Orion. Orion. Oh man, <laughs> Orion! Yeah, I loved seeing those. <laughs> Yeah, those old credits. But uh, I, I like the opening of this one a lot. Uh, the tracking shot in particular that kind of goes through the gang fight with the wet streets, of course. <laughs> yes, oh, Michael Mann must have been on set that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that. I like what I like about this film is I'm I'm glad that they because they could have spent a lot of time uh, introducing our five leads, right? Mm-hmm. But they do this like quick way of introducing all of the characters. Even Nestor has a really quick kind of like beginning opening in in the in the beginning of this film and it's it's interesting the way they set it up you know everything by the time you get to the the actual um, like juvenile hall or the juvenile holding center wherever they end up you kind of know everything you need to know about all these characters mm-hmm. and i found that kind of interesting and stuff uh the way they set it up I, just, I mean i've always loved that because it's it's very economic
2: absolutely and it, but it gives us it's good it's good shorthand because it gives us what we need to know, and a little bit of a character flourish about each of the leads and what their kind of skill set is.
1: Right, right. And it's, uh, it is. it should be said, it's very GGTMC. It's got some, uh, you know, some hot licks from uh, Bob <laughs> Dylan, awesome 80s fashion, cocaine usage, there's wet streets, like you said. It's, just, you know, <laughs> it's so GGTMC, man. Both these films. <laughs> yeah, they are. In a weird way. Uh, <laughs> it, it It is weird that, you know, Lang has developed into this go to tough guy actor. You know, he's always been around and, you know, man has used him to great effect and some other some other ones but he's like uh, sam neill you know where he's Mm -hmm. he's one of these actors who like other actors respect and he's in these big films every now and then but it's like he can't ever really get the true credit i mean i think sam neill's a good actor but sam neill is kind of known as being the guy in jurassic park here in the states as opposed to more so being sam neill the actor i mean he did a lot of stuff for jurassic park i love sam neill yeah and, but, you know, he's always kind of been known. as So he's it's it's almost like a curse to be in these gigantic films sometimes. Sometimes it gets you more work, like I think it has for Lang, and he's really taking advantage of it right now. Mm-hmm. And Sam Neill did for a little while as well. But Sam Neill seems to have stepped out again. Like, you know, he's kind of backed off again a little bit. But uh, Lang, you know, I think he's going to, and rightfully so, he should abuse it for a while because, you know, actors like him that work their whole life, uh, you know, and are well-respected, you know, they, they deserve all the credit too. You know, sometimes you get some actors like uh, – I can't think of who I'm going to think. Of. You know, think, name anybody you know that makes twenty million dollars a picture. And you sometimes think, you know, are these guys really worth twenty million dollars a picture. Sometimes they're not. You know, you got better actors out there, but you know that's the business. So. Oh yeah, but you know our characters, they're all together, and then they they all of a sudden get shifted and taken to the Florida Everglades. Now, this is possibly the strangest rehabilitation program I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, the t- I can't see if the taxpayers of Florida knew about this, <laughs> they would be behind it.
1: Yeah. You're talking about underage kids. <laughs> you're going to the take swamps. them swamps. Yeah, you're going to take them to the Everglades, which is a dangerous place. If you don't know what you're doing out there, you'll be dead in like a day. <laughs> you'll be eaten, and your body will never be recovered.
2: No. Um, yeah, and, and it should be said that they're tra- transported there by something. I don't know if we've talked about too much on the show, but it's very much GGTMC and very much an '80s staple that has kind of gone the way of. The dodo bird because uh, – but in the 80s, it was a live mall and that is, of course, the hovercraft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huge in the 80s. Every Florida movie had a hovercraft, whether it was yep. um, Invasion USA or fucking this. I mean, they always had a hovercraft.
1: You ever ridden on one of those things?
2: Yeah, I did with my wife. What was I went to Florida. I um, we went to Disney World and stuff. We did a swamp tour, like a gator tour. My wife was shitting her pants, but I loved it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the guy, the driver, knew that she was scared, so he'd take those turns a little bit quicker. And so
1: you needed the band of the hand song while you guys were riding around. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> man.
2: I needed my uh, my radio earphones.
1: And then when you guys got back to the hotel room, you just had to throw on broken wings. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah with those those square frosted glass walls.
1: Uh, yeah. And you, both, she had to stay in one way, and you had to stay in the other way. Both of you had that
2: major attitude. <laughs> major attitude. <laughs> she slapped me i <laughs> slapped her and pulled her hair <laughs> you know,
1: it, it all turned out so good simple. you know two kids yeah. later and you know happily married and moving on yeah, anyway well, uh <laughs> yeah those things are weird to ride on the first time you ride on them they're, it's a strange experience uh mm-hmm. it's like really feels weird and awkward. really fucking loud though <laughs> oh yeah really obnoxiously loud and stuff yeah. so one of those things but uh, yeah they were in the 80s films quite but you still see them occasionally but uh not really, you know, like they used, they were using '80s films during the big cocaine years. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this, you know, they get to the island. You know, they're introduced. To, I like the way Lang's character is introduced. He just kind of, he just kind of, he's like a bull in a china shop. He just comes bustling through the fucking brush, man. Because yeah. <laughs> the uh, the two characters, there's two characters in this. They open the film with a gang fight between uh, Leon, who plays a character named Moss, and uh, Paul Calderon, who plays Tito. Mm. Was oh, it? No, not Paul Carter, no, no, it was Ma- Michael Carmine who plays yeah, Ruben. i I was just looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, Tito and Ruben, you know. Hey <laughs> I had a Ruben the other day, by the way it was fucking fantastic. I had a Ruben a couple of weeks ago, it was awesome. Yeah, anyway. Always. <laughs> but my Ruben wasn't named Marco Car Michael Carmine. Thank goodness for that. Rest in peace, it should be said. Yeah, yeah. He, he did he died young. Yeah. Really was a bummer, man. And what do you wonder what he died of? Do you know? Uh, that's that's awful oh, i don't i don't he died i not that of heart failure 30 oh years old goodness
2: jeez that's like um it's funny because for me there's always a a link to the warriors with this film mm-hmm. not only because of james remar and one other small bit player but now you look at that because the character who played um uh oh fuck uh what was his name in the warriors uh he was their tagger with the spray paint. Oh, I can't believe I don't remember that. Shame on me. <laughs> well, I don't remember you. He, he, he had like a classic artist's name. In the, not Picasso. What the fuck was his name in the film? Anyway, <laughs> he died young too. Yeah. Really young yeah. before he was even 30. And uh, yeah, it's really sad when you hear shit like that. He man. was
1: in, uh, now I know who, I remember him a little bit more, Michael Carman. I mean, I remembered him anyway, but I couldn't remember what i have seen him in. He was in Invasion USA right before this. And, Speaking of which. Yeah, and he uh, he was in Batteries Not Included, which I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of, but I remember that film from my kid childhood. And he was in Leviathan, which I am a fan of. Oh, so, yeah. So that's interesting. He was in some stuff.
2: The uh, Sorry, the through line, it should be said, was that we had a friend, my brother and I, younger brother and I, we're Warriors guys through and through. Mm-hmm. And this guy always repped for Band of the Hand. It's like, are you serious? You're going to rep for that over the Warriors? But one of those things, he caught it on cable all the time. We caught the Warriors all the time. Right, right. So and it was Rembrandt. Marcelino Sanchez was the actor's name. Yeah, Rembrandt.
1: Rembrandt. There you go. Um, but anyway, our our characters here, Leon and uh, Michael carman and Ruben and Moss, they are uh, they're they're constantly fighting. Uh, you know, they still hate each other. There's a lot of prejudice there. There's you know gang fights. There's, you know history. And you know they're fighting when they get out the 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 uh, the skid there, the uh, hovercraft, and uh, they. Uh, Stephen Lang's character just comes bull trucking through, man. And I, I love that introduction because, you know, he's he's yelling at them, telling them what, what's what, and he just kind of walks back in. <laughs> and they're all just kind of yeah. like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it's pretty great, you know. And he, I always think he's kind of overdressed, but then I remember that, you know, mosquitoes are a big, 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 big problem down in the Everglades. I mean, if you've ever been Probably in, horse <laughs>
2: flies and other shit, too.
1: Yeah, if you've ever been in Florida... The humidity, the wetlands and stuff, mosquitoes are fucking Jesus, they're, they're intense, you know, so but uh, so that's kind of our introduction to all of our characters, kind of the setup for our film. Now these guys have to start working together, and I also like how they did that. They, they set up these guys with the survival and stuff, but they never really have that really big scene, like the montage of them working together. They just have they go from not really working together to just one day you realize they're waking up and they're just starting to go through the routine of working together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that. I'm glad they didn't do the montage there because they could have done a montage very easily there. Put another Bob Dylan song or, or Rock Me Amadeus and they could have.
2: <laughs> Which we said off the air, Bob Dylan was a bizarre choice to do the soundtrack because when I think of the 80s, he is so far removed from the 80s. Yeah. And Man is so very much of the 80s. It just seemed
1: like an odd choice. It is. It is. I mean, the other songs in the film feel like Michael Mann choices. uh hmm you know because he is so much a filmmaker of the 80s uh you know you like i said we were joking around about mr mr on here was it broken wings it was mr mr right yep, I think. yeah thank you okay i'll make sure i've got that right don't want to give. i don't want to lose my 80s cred <laughs> uh and some other songs in here um i can't remember any off the top of my head but it does oh, have, have a great. little bit of prince oh yeah Let's go crazy yeah there you go it's got a great soundtrack for that 80s stuff i mean but it is weird the the theme song is actually written for the film by bob dylan and it's really a strange choice. It, it's very strange, to say the least. I mean, the, the riff's good and the song. And the song's okay. I don't like the song a lot, but that's not one of Bob Dylan's best songs. I mean, of course, it's it's certainly not his finest hour. Yeah, we'll talk. You know, we could talk about Dylan for hours, probably. But anyway, um, but you know, I, I like all that setup and stuff. Now, let me get to another thing. This is a GGTMC convention that I don't know if we've ever really kind of made a thing, but we got to kind of make this one of our things. And that's bad guys with these big banks of TVs these 25 TVs <laughs> there's no fucking logic to having that many televisions <laughs> no unless you want to
2: shoot a few of them with your pistol
1: yeah yeah that was thinking i was like where did this idea come from did it come from elvis you know they are you know i understand security okay i understand if you got a bank of TVs you know by a bank of TVs i mean you guys know what i'm talking about the the 10 TVs in a cubicle you know or or some type of setup or whatever, and they'll be like 19 inch TVs. I think there these are all like real small TVs. He's sitting like a mile away from these small TVs. Uh-huh. Eyes were better back in those days, and uh, it, it's a, it's such a badass thing, I guess. You know, one of those things where you're showing your money, I guess. But it it, it makes no sense logistically to have that many televisions. But I have to say, Bravo to James Remar for <laughs> this little this little moment in the film. <laughs> Because he's such a scumbag in this little moment in the film, where Lauren Holly comes to find, him. <laughs> she's looking for her boyfriend Carlos, right? Carlos, yeah. Make sure, yep. make sure I get that right. do we we'll call him Tito <laughs> <laughs> or she's, Randy? Yeah. Or wow. So she comes looking for Carlos and wanting help from Nestor, and Carlos worked for Nestor, and uh, Nestor's got his cocaine set up. He's got his legs kicked back. He's got his uh, bank of TVs on. He's got his fancy apartment. His goons standing around. At one point, he's like, now go upstairs and take off all your clothes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Remar's got this great voice anyway. And I'm glad Tarantino's using him. He seems like an actor that should be in Tarantino films in a lot of ways. Because he's just got this great voice and great appearance. And, you know, he's kind of disappeared recently.
2: Other than Dexter. If you watched yeah. Dexter, he was Dexter's
1: dad. Yeah, he's done a lot of TV stuff. Like I remember that my wife watched uh, Sex in the City, which is obviously what named to me, so I didn't watch it. But every now and then I'd be in the room when she was watching it, and you know there'd be like some sex scene or something, and you know, I'm a male. I'm going to watch that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm watching this stuff anyway. I remember at one point one of the characters in there, Kim Cattrall's character, I believe, falls in love with the character, and it's, and it's James Remar. And I'm sitting there telling my wife, "Is like, oh, man, Remar's a huge part of my childhood. Man, Walter Hill used him great. And Fucking Ajax is going to punch <laughs> that bitch out. <laughs> And he plays one of my favorite screen bad guys of all time in 48 Hours. 48 Hours, yeah, man. And uh, Luther. Anyway, yeah. uh, and uh, so I'm talking about him stuff. And right as I'm talking about him, he takes off his pants. And this guy's got a fucking horse cock on him. <laughs> fucking make a uh, fucking Fassbender look like a fucking chump. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Remar's got the rebar, bro. Yeah. <laughs> They can bend and curl wherever he wants it to go. Okay, right, Fuck and around a corner. Pushing push through concrete with that motherfucker. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, James Remar, I'm, I'm glad he's kind of coming back. I just think he's got a great face and a great... I've always liked his presence on screen. From Warriors on, I've really just always been a fan of Remar.
2: Yeah, same here. He'll always have a soft spot in my heart.
1: He's also into some weird voodoo shit, though.
2: <laughs> Which is weird, because... He's like this very waspy Coke Baron with a Hispanic name, but he's got a voodoo room in his eighties apartment. Yeah, with with black lights. With black lights and fuck I think there's like a cat fucking corpse or something. It's just a really fucking bizarre setup, man. I know it's Miami in the eighties, but you know, fuck, you can only indulge so many things, bruh.
1: It's funny you say it's Miami in the eighties. It's pretty insane, man. Yeah. It was a weird choice. I mean, I don't know if it was to make him more scummy than what he already was or more intimidating, but, I mean, he really didn't need to because, I mean, after he says take off your clothes, she just sits there for an uncomfortable amount of time, and he said, I said go upstairs and take off your fucking clothes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and it's weird because they have that moment in the film where it almost looks like Lauren Holly's going to kill herself, but, like, through through voodoo ritual, it's like, (laughs) how the fuck was this scene even in the film? Yeah. Yeah. And she picks up the knife, and she's all you know i don't know a very it's very weird choice and
1: that that and uh it's it, it's excessively violent in moments too it's like you know the, the point where Lauren holly's laying out in the on the boat and i saw you posted a screenshot <laughs> God. yeah guy plays the little bishop game from aliens there doesn't he doesn't win bro he's, no <laughs> remar sticks that knife right through the hand <laughs> yeah it was
2: great after he's finished eating like
1: some fucking shrimp or some i don't know
2: he's eating something samosas or something yeah. he's like clean this mess up
1: yeah it's fucking great. <laughs> it great you know he's got a boat and everything but uh yeah you know it, it's, it's he's just a real prick in this one but yeah this is the weird the voodoo shit and it, really the, i think is the turning point in the story in a lot of ways is the uh is the uh the lauren holly uh, her accepting the nikki character accepting what she has to do to get her boyfriend back it's i used to think when i was younger that the snake bite was the real turning point because there's a snake bite in here, and you start to see some uh, some concern from other characters, whereas before they mm. weren't concerned at all. And I can't remember what the name of that character is. That guy, oh, that actor. he had a, Al-, Al Shannon. Yeah, he had. Dorsey. Gr- he had great hair, man. He had great
2: hair, and he he uh, he had a great shirt that was it was not even a half shirt it was a quarter shirt man <laughs> yeah. that fucking thing was above his nipples
1: what's the point at that point you gotta ask yourself what is the point of the why
2: shirt? yeah does he do not want his shoulders
1: to get burned in the everglades yeah. maybe he's self-conscious about his shoulders <laughs>
2: <laughs> we had that shitty snake tattoo he wasn't self-conscious about that and he yeah. should have been
1: yeah
2: yeah and he got hit bit by a snake so there you go I, I delicious honey and two weeks in a row We've had snake decapitations. Yeah. This Heaven's one was this was from a machete, not from a mouth. From a mouth. <laughs> Heaven's trash will not approve.
1: Yeah, this is snake cruelty. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, at some point, you know, these characters move on and and Lang takes it upon himself to take them to the next level of their rehabilitation. And now they're going to go. And, and this is where I do like the film. They have a noble effort.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He wants to get them together and he wants to help these. Uh, I think they're Haitian. Uh, yep. immigrants um who are living in uh destitute in this in this building and uh, you know they're confused you're kind of confused as a viewer and stuff but then you realize that you know you're there to almost protect these people because you know they're being exploited for drugs for uh use for god knows what and uh and uh so they're gonna you know help them out and lang's got you know lang is uh native american by heritage so i think native americans by heritage people with uh the right frame of mind and stuff like Lang who doesn't really feel sorry for himself I think he wants to help and feels like you know you have a, a people that are getting trounced on that you know that we should help and I like that that kind of noble uh, nobility I should say of, of the Stephen Lang Indian Joe character it's interesting sure. because you know he, not only that I mean he's not only helping these people that are less fortunate than most people but also you know he's taking these kids who are you know these kids aren't good kids these are bad kids uh-huh. but he believes in them and, uh, you know, the kids like that need a counselor like that or a father figure like that. Totally. Um, and uh, that's where I think some of the best Lang stuff comes actually when they get out of the Everglades. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. More so than in the Everglades, which is weird because they kind of set him up as this Rambo survival character, but although he does have uh, crazy parties in the middle of the Everglades. <laughs> yeah, he does, man. <laughs> There's some good barbecue. And, you yeah, know. Know, it's pretty good. But And I like the line where he says nobody else has ever made it. Pretty great, yeah. But uh, so he's got his, you know, his his band of the hand, and that's where the title of the film comes from. You know, you kind of you get some moments toward the back end where you see, and there's a great moment where everybody's looking at a picture. I really like Mm. and uh, stuff, but you kind of see what he's going for, you know. And, And there's a great line too where he also says, you know, they took away my band, they took away this, they took away that. I'm not going to take it anymore. It's, you know, it's basically you know the, the broadcast news moment, right? Or the network yeah. uh, moment. The network, oh, moment, net- network yeah. Yeah, broadcast news. I get those two confused sometimes. But it's the network moment you know, where he's mad as hell and he's just not going to take it anymore. And he's going to make a stand. And then our film, and I haven't talked about Fishburne yet, but I will. Our film turns into a bit of a siege film.
2: <laughs> yes. It's <with laughs> it this fucking art deco pastel house that Miami's is known for.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like they're painting the house. And, and and if you didn't know Miami, you'd think, wow, these guys must have really got into breaking and breaking, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is pretty funny. Uh, Cream, as he is known in the film. Mm-hmm. Fishburne's way over the top here, uh, but in a good way, in a good, fun way. So is his hair. Yeah, his hair is way over the top. But it's 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 all in a fun way, and uh, there's some great moments between Lang and Fishburne, his heavies. Uh, really great moment where they're playing, where they're in Epley playing basketball. <laughs> um, very strange, uh, but it, it gives them a heavy and it gives them a common enemy and stuff. And Fishburne fits that bill pretty good. While in the background, Remar is actually the the real enemy and stuff. So there's like this nice two tier fight that's going down, and that that's a nice story convention too. That you think, you know that they're focusing on one heavy almost like a mini boss before you get as 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 a neck would say almost like a mini boss before you fight the big boss right Mm -hmm. so i kind of like that setup as well um yeah i mean i don't have a whole lot more notes i just say that uh uh, my last note is Stephen lang might be wearing the tightest choker i have ever seen on any actor ever
2: (laughs) he brings literal meaning to the term choker (laughs) Uh, it really was tight and probably uncomfortable. I can't imagine that being comfortable.
1: You could literally see his skin bubbling in and trying to go over the choker. <laughs> I can promise you between each of those beads, it
2: was getting pinched like a motherfucker sometimes. Oh,
1: man, I would have I hated putting that on and taking that off. Because, you know, that hair that grows on the back of your neck and stuff? Oh, God, I would have pulled it out. Ooh, give me chills. Oh, yeah. not, but, uh, not fun. That's all my notes on Band of the Hand.
2: Okay. Um... So yeah, I like that that introduction too. Like you had said, where we're kind of showed each of these uh, this motley crew of guys and and they kind of touch on different skills and stuff. Like um, the John Cameron Mitchell character is sort of an explosive expert, and the thing I didn't like though was they didn't really pay off that. Like you know, not that everyone needs to have an individual skill, but they kind of looked like they were going that way.
1: Yeah,
2: and then they never. Like I feel like they didn't really. Um, it didn't really pay off uh, the the skill set that each of the guys brought to the table. Like, yeah. you know what's weird about this film? I like this film. Um, I do think that it's 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 an, it's almost two hours long, and it oh yeah, it, it's probably too long by about fifteen minutes.
1: I, I totally agree with that. Actually, I'll say this, and I know this might not be a popular opinion. The siege itself seems like it takes forever.
2: Yeah, and see the film. Even though like there's always something happening, somehow the film feels a bit rudderless to me. Like, you know, when you get a film, you want it to escalate and progress as things go on. But this just kind of feels like it's drifting for a long time, and not not necessarily in a boring way, but it just feels like you know you want things to get ratcheted up as your film goes on, but it never feels like it's ratcheting up to me.
1: Yeah, and I think part of the issue also is is that only a couple of our band of the hand really do you kind of emotionally get involved with. Mm-hmm. There's some of them that are just totally background fodder. Dorsey, yeah. Dorsey's a good example. For me, he's he's interesting, but not very. <laughs> <laughs> Other than his quarter shirts. He's, uh... Yeah, well, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you get behind Carlos for obvious reasons. You can get emotionally involved in Carlos. Leon and Ruben... I mean, Ruben and also well, should be said Leon and Michael Carmont. There's yeah. some, there's some good moments between them and their gang. Yeah. I like that. That's kind of funny moment where they get their gangs painting. That's pretty funny.
2: Yeah, no, it was good. Yeah, probably Carlos. I think is the central character within yeah. the, the band. But I mean, you know, Leon, you get behind a little bit. Yeah, you get Ruben a little bit. You know, and the kid. I don't know. It's 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 okay. I mean, you can only do so much. But um, it, it's almost like a like this. It feels almost like the Dirty Half Dozen. Like it's <laughs> yeah. know, very much an 80s, you know, juvenile version of that. Mm -hmm. And I love that it's set in Miami because you and I have said this before. Miami very much was sort of, I think, like the epicenter and very emblematic of the 80s. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: Everything was very excessive in the 80s and especially in Miami with cocaine and everything else. (laughs) And voodoo. Uh, And voodoo, yeah. (laughs) Incredible. Um, Speaking of incredible, Carlos... No, no, not Carlos. Uh, no, I did it. Uh, Ruben. <laughs> there we go. He, he's 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 a fashion plate. I mean, oh yeah. When he's in the hovercraft, dude's rocking a mesh fedora, <laughs> and he's committed to the dangling earring all through the film.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's committed. Yeah, he, um, he saw. He, he knows who Ozone is. He knows, man.
2: <laughs> and I'll tell you, they could have cut the sexual tension between him and Leon with a knife. Like the the sexual tension, especially in the potty wagon, like those two needed to just get over, get it over and fuck in the swamps.
1: It is there, man. I I didn't want to bring (laughs) I bring up that a lot with these kinds of films, so I didn't want to bring it up this time, but it really is there.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Everyone's always gotta hold them back early on until you know they they come to an agreement. Maybe they you know, off screen I like to think of some slash fiction where they maybe when they're painting (laughs) the house one night.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, who knows?
1: And John Cameron Mitchell's watching.
2: Yeah, he's got his radio earphones on. He's <laughs> fucking nothing but his fucking red leather trench coat, uh, <laughs> oh. and uh, and Carlo. Fuck, I keep calling him Carlos, man. Ruben, when he's even uh, he's got the mesh for He's also got a mesh half shirt. And oh no no no, now I'm fucking mixing up Leon. Is what's Leon's name in the film again? Carlos. Car- uh oh, No no no, that's that's fuck. <laughs> who's on first? That was Danielli Quinn. Was Carlos. Yeah. Leon was Moss. Moss. Moss has a mesh half shirt yes. with suede tassels. I
1: know it's amazing.
2: It's incredible, and it it ties up at the chest like shoulder pads would.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it is amazing. The clothes in this film—I didn't put bring them up a lot in my notes, but they are just insane. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah I love. I, I also really love uh, Carlos's uh, fancy jacket he wears. He's got yeah. It's like this satin
2: oversized paisley. And sort of aqua blue blazer. Yeah, his
1: jacket screams Miami Vice more than the show screams Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, it is
2: really. And he's got you know, there's a lot of linens and white pants. And there's a that one uh, club scene where they're playing Let's Go Crazy by Prince. There's a lot of white suits in that fucking club. Oh yeah, man.
1: Everybody wore white back then, man. I, I can remember growing up in the '80s, man. My mom, you know, you know, you go to get ready to go to school, and you're, you know, you go out to get your school clothes right for for the year. Mm-hmm. Some of your first batch of school clothes for the new school year. Mm-hmm. Man, she bought white jeans, and nice. uh, that was the first and last time I wore white jeans. <laughs> well, I love your white jeans story with that girl you're trying to impress. Oh yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> good. It's incredible, man. <laughs> um,
2: but uh, yeah, this is this film to close. I mean, it's very much of its time, which is part of the fun, certainly. Um, I have to ask the whole, like, which was the first film to feature kind of that Karate Kid training through through yard work like your discipline through yard work like you know same thing with this they're painting the house and doing that just like daniel son did the year prior I think or two years prior for Miyagi like I wonder what the first film was to, to implement that into it
1: I don't know I would have to I mean for me personally it has to be Karate Kid but yeah for me too I'm sure there's probably something that I saw in after I'd seen Karate Kid where that may have gotten ripped off I mean I always think about you know, Rocky training with the uh, the sides of beef, Oh yeah, right, so I've always thought that that's a big influence on these training films, using what you have as opposed to what you can't have for actual training. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of thought that uh, John G. Avelton himself, who directed both The Karate Kid and Rocky, mm-hmm. he, he may have had a lot to do with this uh this homemade training Trend. stuff, yeah seems like he had a lot to do with that for some reason. Yeah. I could be yeah. wrong there. I mean, I'm... I'm no, this sh-
2: seems, like a, seems like a fair assumption.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure there's something somewhere. Maybe one of our listeners can pony up something.
2: Um. So with Lang being headbanded in this film, we've had two weeks in a, a row of headbanded beauties as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. His hair is magnificent under that headband. He's really got it combed. Got a whole lot of moose, man, <laughs> up in that piece. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a
2: there's a small moment in this film. I love it. I wish there's a, when Car, Carlos is going back to see his girlfriend, and he pulls up to this apartment, and there's this great fucking purple '80s Corvette, and uh, this fucking goddess. Her name was Gina in the film. She's probably Cuban or black or something. She's got this satin spaghetti strap top and this big curly hair. I'm like, man, this girl needed to be in more than Lauren Holly was. But anyway, she was fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah fishburn there's a, there's a really funny moment when fishburn's gang uh gets confronted and they get dealt with so quickly and it's like it's weird it's like this weird it's like they they went to like a casting cattle call and got like they they actively tried to get the seven most random black guys of different ages <laughs> and looks <laughs> like there's old black guys there's jerry-curled black guys <laughs> There's like just, it's like a complete spectrum of black background actors that make up a Fishburne's gang. Yeah. And Fishburne really needed to trade in that fucking convertible roles for a Fierro and get some henchmen who can draw a little bit faster. Because those dudes don't even begin to draw till
1: like Fishburne's
2: face is already on the
1: fucking hood of the car. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's almost like they went like, hey man, who, who was the popular heavies in black exploitation era time? Let's get some of those guys in here. And they yeah. couldn't find any of them, and so they're like, "Well, who were the guys that tried out back in those
2: days and didn't make it?" That's right. It was just really weird. Um, I love how sparse Stephen Lang's quarters are. Oh, I mean, yeah. there's not even a fucking mattress in his room. All there is is 15 candles <laughs> and a few dresser drawers strewn on the floor.
1: <laughs> he's he's a, he's into the candles, man. Guy. See, keep that, another guy. Keep that guy out of Bath and Body Works. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, he's going, he's going to fucking spend a fortune. He's going to blow the fucking, uh, the reform school budget on candles, bruh. Oh, man. So finally, 10 minutes left in the film, we get Remar in a white suit. And I thought, what the fuck took so long? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the The final showdown has a wild bunch gun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh. I'll tell you, they really, it gets really explosion-y in the back, you know, last little portion of the film, and that building really fucking went up, like the, the, you know, the baron's uh, lair, as it were, and it should be said, this this was supposed to be a TV show, and it didn't, it just didn't work, so they shifted gears and made it a film. Yeah. So you could kind of see how it would work as a TV show, akin to like um, Miami Vice, almost like... Melrose Place to nine hundred two one zero. This would have been more of the nine hundred two one zero to Miami Vice's Melrose Place, right, right. As far as being more for a mature audience, but anyway, so that's it. Uh, let me hear your uh, your thoughts. Like make a break in between.
1: Uh, my make a break. I'm going to go with the uh, setup of the film. I really just like the setup and you know, like, you know I like the message of the film. It's a good message. It's it's you know obviously it's <laughs> it's a message uh, that shows resolution through violence, but it's still it's still a good message either way. Through Uzis and, uh, <laughs> and stuff, but uh, you know, still a good message either way. If if not over the top, um, I hear my son uh, stirring. I'm hoping my wife will uh, grab him there and get him back to sleep. He usually doesn't wake up to about seven thirty eight. So six cool. thirty's a little little crisp, a little early. has Been hot as hell down here. It's been hot up here.
2: Yeah, it's been about a hundred. <laughs> it's
1: been that way down here, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with Lang. I really just think I just like his charisma. You know. I don't think there's enough artistic value to the direction of the film to kind of give it to Glazer or I do feel man's presence quite heavily in the film, mm-hmm. but Lang is, you know, an actor who I really appreciate. I'm glad to see that he's really, you know, caught on uh, now. It's a shame that it took him this long, but uh, it's really good to see him, uh, you know, getting all the work he's getting now, but you can see the charisma there uh, that from early on. This is one of his earlier efforts, so... You can uh, you can see it immediately. I just can't I can't believe it took him as long as it did to kind of get as popular as he's gotten now. But again, he's got a unique look, and uh, he you know plays the heavy really well. Sort of call him the Silver Fox, similar with George Eastman nowadays with that gray going on. <laughs> <laughs> My um, score for the film: straight seven out of ten. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's a little goofy, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's still a good watch, and I agree with you. I, I didn't just have it in my notes, but I do agree with you. It's about twenty minutes too long. It's 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 a longer film than it needs to be, but because mm-hmm. uh, I think they have a, a moments of resolution in the film set up, and then they go way too long trying to get that resolution through. So, but yeah, that's my thoughts on Band of the Hand.
2: Nice, we're pretty similar. Um, I like the set up, you know, because it's it's a guy's on a mission film. Um, you know, it's a ragtag bunch that's being assembled. So I, we always like seeing that. So that's great. My MVT is the aesthetic. Um, it's it's 80s Miami. I think that really says it all. And that's my MVT. I just, I really dig that. I like Lang. Um, I like, you know, I think like, everyone acquits themselves reasonably well for the kind of film it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just the aesthetic works for me. My score is also a 7 out of 10. Um, I think it's a little too long and it doesn't feel like it, it, it escalates um, uh, as it goes. The stakes don't seem or feel much higher. So, you know, a uh, solid watch. I'd probably buy it, not, you know, a full pop if it was like a blue for 10 bucks or something, I'd probably buy it, but you
1: yeah. know. Yeah. Definitely That's a good it. good watch. I mean, I know a lot of our listeners or at least some of our listeners were like, "Wow, I forgot all about that film," you know, so I'm hoping a lot of people went back and watched it this week.
2: Yeah. I think it was the third time I've seen it. I'd seen it a long time ago obviously, and then I'd seen it about I want to say around the time we started doing our show, either just before or just after. You did, you did, yeah. Yeah, so this was uh the third time I'd seen it, and it, it holds up, you know, for what
1: it is. All right. All right. So, all right. That's it. I was listening to my son there. He's still crying. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, okay. So we're going to take a short break, come back and talk about 1987's The Majorettes, or also known as One by One. We'll be back right after this.
2: Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year?
0: For that film?
2: For that film. Oh. but don't take my word for it just listen to what the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema has
1: to say about our show it's a husband and wife show and they discuss movies and stuff yeah a
2: very wife husband show high praise indeed so come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com it will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour
1: a Moody little piece there. I love that song. I've always loved that song. So yeah, same here, man. Great great 80s tune that gets overlooked a lot from that 80s era. Mm-hmm. So uh okay. Uh we are back and we are going to talk about the majorettes from 87, Al Synopsas. This is directed by Bill Hunsman, who will probably talk about where you've seen him from. Uh, a hooded psycho is murdering high school girls. A devil worshiping drug dealing biker gang, I suspect. <laughs> Oh, man. I really, I have to say, I really enjoyed uh, Mace Jackson. <laughs> he is incredible. <laughs> okay. So let's hear what you thought about the Majorettes. <laughs> so Majorettes. Um,
2: yeah. I, I had never seen this film either. I had only heard about it in the past few years. It was off my radar when I was younger. Um Bill Hinesman directed it. For those of you who don't know, Bill Hinesman, he was the zombie at the beginning of *Night of the Living Dead* uh, when Barbara's brother says, "They're coming to
1: get you, Barbara." Yeah. Easily the one first of the zombie. Yeah, yeah, easily one of the most iconic zombies of all time.
2: Yes, along with, of course, one of my favorites, the the Hedy krishna zombie from uh, <laughs> from Dawn. Um, yeah. So then, of course, the other *Night of the Living Dead* connection is, is Russo. Uh, is it? Is it Bill Russo? No, is it James? No, not James Russo. James Russo. Rousseau.
1: James Russo is a good actor. John John Russo. That's right. He wrote it, co-wrote Another Living Dead* with
2: uh, Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote this, I think, or produced it. He had some involvement as well. So, yeah, I had really never heard of this film until people like Matsuzaka and Neck and a few other people, I think, Kevin Stras. These guys really dug it and, and repped for it. And I kept meaning to see it, but you know, it's just one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. You never get around to it, right? Um, so i was kind of i was very curious when he he picked this one for the show and i'm i'm kinda of glad he did it's uh you know it sets itself apart from the pack of uh of slasher films in the eighties and we'll talk about why here as we go um so it opens with this kind of inspirational very eighties dance uh <laughs> sequence with the majorettes um and it should be said this whole high school is was cast in the nine oh two and 0 school of acting uh casting which is of course. 35-year-olds as 17-year-olds, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's some that are probably even pushing 40.
1: (laughs) And I don't think anybody from this film, I can really say I've seen anything else much. No,
2: that's the thing. I was was watching the credits. Great credits. I posted a few screenshots from the credits. It was black and pink and stuff. I looked at those credits, man. I did not recognize one fucking name other than, of course, Heinzman and um, Russo.
1: Yeah, that's the only ones I noticed, too. Really, really strange. Um, But that happens. <laughs> oh, fuck.
2: I'm an Iron Man. I didn't yawn until the second review this week. Usually it's the first thing I do before I fucking say a word. Um, so, yeah, lots of 80s titties early on, which
1: is nice. Yeah, they're very nice. Especially, yeah. um I had a big thing for Marie's. Marie's really nice. Actually, I had a big thing for Marie altogether. And Marie's the name of Sammy's latest flame. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, man. And I was like, man, I hope she gets
2: that top off. And when they, she drops the titties, I was like, yeah, good, man. Because, you know, slasher films, really one of the big things that they're known for is is their shameless nudity. You've you got to have it. I mean, it's yeah. it's, not a, it's not a tasteful genre. So yeah. you might as well, you know, get the kid off and, and show us what they got. So mm-hmm. um, early on, we see that there's a, the peeping Tom and he's developing photos in a dark room and we've probably said this on the show before but sadly dark rooms have, have kind of disappeared from films in this digital age and I miss dark rooms and I miss photo mats yeah. because there's something very dramatic about the, the, the reveal and the, um, the revelation that developed pictures brings in films much yeah. like the phone booths um newspaper stands and other things that, that are slowly
1: fading from our yeah. our mind uh culturally and cinematically you see directors every now and then uh use them to great effect as if they're making them like an homage to them like uh fincher did with seven we he had a dark room for the the killer had a dark room for your call which was pretty great yes yes definitely but i do miss i miss dark rooms as well i miss them terribly
2: yeah no they're they're really fantastic uh, there's a grandmother in this who I have to think was like Heinzman's mom or something. And he just said, okay, mom, sit in this chair and look off in the distance. And uh, that was it because the grandmother's supposed to be mute and she's sick or something. She's had some sort of an ailment and she's being looked at by a nurse. But, and I have to say that, it, like, it felt to me like they, they had access to a funeral home and they were dressing it up to be a house. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like they're supposed to be their house, and she's all, "Oh, the the grandmother has a lot of uh, valuable art, and it's like it looks like a fucking funeral home to me." (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, that's the way it
2: goes. Um, What a puss Tommy is. He's this nerd who, who uh, what's her name, Nicole or something? Yeah, Nicole. So she's coming on to him, man. She's pretty hot, and uh, he's just he doesn't know what to do, and he's just flabbergasted. It's like you puss, get her shirt off, man. She's (laughs) she's parked out here.
1: Yeah. And uh, I like that scene though because I like how she she backs off because she all of a sudden has this moment of guilt, crisis of conscience, yeah, yeah crisis of conscience, yeah, yeah. And uh, although I will have to say that this this is the moment where our killer shows up and we realize that he is seriously camoed. He is camoed. <laughs> I was how do you rhyme?
2: I was gonna say like G'd up" from the feet up. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but he is seriously camoed. Is right.
1: Although he, I have to say though. It doesn't help to be camoed if you have a gigantic background spotlight.
2: <laughs> it it certainly doesn't. And you're not – well, I guess it was too late for anyone at that point. But he's not very discreet in that he screams and belly flops onto the roof of the car, <laughs> Every- which is a pretty impressive move. And see, he took a real gamble here unless he scouted things out because he belly flops on the roof of the car with the hope of sticking a knife through the roof. And <laughs> – He's lucky he gambled that this was a soft top because his little maneuver would have proved fruitless if that had been a fucking hard top.
1: <laughs> this is true. Every time he screams, he screams he has reverb on his uh, – he's well, like,
2: oh, 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 it, it, What's great is the, <laughs> they've lifted the – or maybe – yeah, they've lifted the um, the Raiders of Atlanta's death scream for this film. <laughs> that's what that is. That, that's what it is. You're right. It's incredible. Um but I love before he just before he comes. There's that reveal. It's not a spoiler because these characters die early on. This character um, Nicole is going to get Tommy, this nerd, have sex with him, and then say he's the dad. And she you know says, "Oh no, I'm pregnant, and I wanted to think you to think you were the father." Um, but then when we find out who the father is, it's of course Mace Jackson, <laughs> the devil worshiping biker. And I love uh, Tommy's reaction. He goes, "Mace Jackson, the dope pusher." <laughs> How'd you get hooked up with a sleazy guy like that? (laughs) Which is pretty incredible because other than spray painting their trailer with 666, (laughs) we don't get much of an indication that they worship the devil. They have
1: have ACDC on there too. Oh,
2: they have (laughs) ACDC. And yeah, that's true. Um, But they could be, you know, the... um, the soldering and electrical uh, yes. club for the uh, high school. In,
1: in hindsight, let's be honest. In hindsight, that anybody ever thought that ACDC was a devil worshiping band is pretty hilarious.
2: It is extremely <laughs> hilarious. What is also hilarious is that for a motorcycle gang, all they do is ride around in a van. <laughs> yeah. So they're more, you know, they call them bikers. So would we call these guys vanners?
1: <laughs> yeah. right? no. The same
2: train of thought would would say these guys are vanners.
1: The, the bikes were all in the shop during the yeah. shooting of the film. Yeah, so Mace is great. He he looks like a mix of like like Prince and uh, like Prince, like all cleaned up and like under the cherry moon, Prince or something, and uh, and and somebody else. I can't think of I'll, who else.
2: I'll tell you who he looks like. With all due respect to Prince, I'll tell you who he exactly looks like. He looks like a the love child of of Wilmer or Wilmer Valderrama and Colin Farrell.
1: <laughs> That's pretty good.
2: Totally Colin Farrell, man. Um, but make good old Mace Jackson. And um, yeah, he's pretty great, man. He he's really great. He he's also. And speaking of fashion plates, we get another fashion plate here with him. Yeah, um, his whole gang. It should be said. Yeah, they're pretty fantastic. <laughs> one, of,
1: one of them even goes the route of being a, a Civil War re-enact, reenactor. Evidently, yeah,
2: <laughs> he he should have been in that movie Choke. Um, but uh, he's great. In fact, he even pulls out a gun at one point that had to have been from the fucking Civil War. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he's great. Now, one character that I don't think is utilized enough in the film is Martel. Martel is sort of this beefcake cop with a mustache and a perm. Um, he's got leather elbow pads on his blazers. You know, he's, he's laying in the bed with the ladies. They didn't use enough. The, the film could use a little more Martel, but I guess I wouldn't have wanted it at the expense of Mace Jackson and
1: his, uh, his Vanner gang. So. Yeah, I like Martel. He reminded me of a, a, like a, a pre-steroid Magnum TA.
2: Oh my god, I was just going to say Magnum TA. <laughs> You're so right. That's what he looks uh, like, man. He totally does, man. Uh, I think someone should have told the produc- production designer that football logos go on the side of the helmet, not the front of the helmet. <laughs> and that piratey skateboard stickers don't really mesh with football. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man.
2: Like that, who thought that was a good football logo?
1: You know, to Russo and Heinzman's credit, I know they have history in the genre, but they act like they never went to high school ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's it's pretty
2: insane. It's it, God, it's so insane how this high school it, it, to look at it through the eyes of grown men, what they think it is. Um, yeah, it is really incredible. Uh, so Mace, you know, we see Mace and and it should be said, Mace's outfit in this is. Is one for the ages. It's this two-tone stonewashed and black denim outfit. Yes. And what's funny for this clinical biker or vaner gang, I don't think any of them wear leather.
1: No. There's no. no
2: leather. There's a lot of denim and...
1: Tight t-shirts. t-shirts and stuff. Head, there's another headband. That one guy's got a headband. Yeah. He well. does. The fat dude who's pretty great. <laughs> he says, patience my ass on his shirt. Patience my ass.
2: Yeah. He's, he's great, man. Um I love the one girl. She's such a, a dummy with low self esteem. Um, I, I can't remember. One of the counselors says to her, "Oh, so and so, they're going to college," and she goes, "Yeah, I'll never go to college." You know, it's like you. I'm an idiot. I have low prospects for my life. Way to shoot for the stars, sister. Um, but uh, I also love when they're at the the not the malt shop. Fuck, I'm taking it back to to Russo and Heinzman's high school years. Um, <laughs> I love when they're at the, the, like the diner and um, the three, the three ladies, including our male sort of teenage or quote-unquote teenage lead, when they're talking. And they, they're talking about Mace Jackson. And I, they say his full name, Mace Jackson, about 17 times in about a minute and a half. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, what do they know? Well, I heard she was running with Mace Jackson. You know Mace Jackson. Mace Jackson's a, a real bad apple. Mace Jackson. Yeah. It gets so funny. They just say
1: mace. It does almost look like a malt shop. It's a really weird... It's almost like convenience store slash eatery. We still have those here in the South sometimes. I don't think you guys have those up there, but we still have those type of things where you can go in and buy some bread and shop around, but you can also sit down and have a little a sandwich and a Coke or something, you know?
2: Well, you couldn't shop around this store too much because the fucking shelves were almost barren. <laughs> you got like a few, a few hostess apple pies yeah. on one shelf, and they needed to restock, man.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's <laughs> unbelievable. Um, then there's that one chick who looks like a short-haired Heather Langenkamp who's having a ski by her pool
1: ski. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty, pretty hot, too.
2: Yeah, she wasn't bad. i got to tell you, though, um, Camo Man shows up, screaming like Red Brown, <laughs> which is great. Here's where I think one of the problems from the slasher aspect of this film comes in. Now, I heard a little piece of trivia here. Tom Savini was supposed to do the effects on this film.
1: Okay. He backed out. Some schmuck uh, took over, uh, and you can and, say you can say that, and and call it a schmuck because there's a reasoning.
2: Yeah, th- there's no payoff with the slasher aspect. There's no money shots. There's no blood in the water. Yeah, there's there's a moment when you think, oh, I'm gonna get a decapitation here. There's really there's not one memorable moment from a horror standpoint. No, there's not. I mean, there really isn't. Um, And, you know, it was interesting because at this point, I think we're about 45 minutes in. And despite this, and despite the fact there's only been two or three kills, I was still enjoying the film. Mm -hmm. It was keeping its head above water for me, which is rare because the older I've gotten, um, my tolerance for middling 80s slashers has really lessened. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Um, I love when the cops show up and they deduce through their powers of deduction that uh, oh this killer he looks like he's doing some sort of cleansing ritual
1: there's always water involved (laughs) that's just great that doctor is uh, that's Russo
2: yeah yeah and then the 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 one doctor was the the corner was uh, Russo and
1: Heinzman shows up as I think a cop or something yeah and then of course the uh, the preacher is uh, Striner who was the uh, guy that yelled Barbara right was the uh, he was the brother
2: oh nice I didn't know that good call
1: Nope. Yep. Um, they kept it.
2: Are, are, they keep it in the family a lot. They do, man. I'll tell you, one chick I would have liked to keep in my family is that really shitty, no rhythm stripper who's got a snakes for some
1: reason during her act. <laughs> that was awesome. That well, was fucking. That was one of the saddest strip clubs I've ever seen, though.
2: <laughs> that's 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 the true definition of a day shift stripper if I've ever seen one. <laughs> and. That chick's hips, she could, she had no rhythm. That snake had more rhythm than her.
1: Was, it, was that a strip in, club or a veterans hall? I couldn't tell the difference.
2: <laughs> uh, no doubt, man. But the, the, the Vanner gang is pretty serious about seeing this snake act because some dude gets excited, gets in the front, they fucking punch him in the gut and smash a chair over his face. Just leave him on the floor so they can see this chick work her, her, her uh, reptilian magic. Um...
1: Uh, classic. What's this?
2: Oh, there's the line when they're talking about their, his, the Macy's gang is bugging him and they're like, you know, yeah, you got a pre- you got Nicole pregnant. Yeah, you could have sent your kid on a drug scholarship. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty incredible. So See, yeah, the Civil War guy, Civil War enthusiast we talked about. Um, see, now here's the, so here's the thing. He's keeping his head above water for me, despite it not really being gory or overly sleazy. Um, And then at one hour, it takes a fucking twist. Yeah. And this twist is almost unheard of in films. The the killer is revealed. There's a few um, things heaped on top of that. And and then it it completely shifts gears and becomes a revenge actioner. Yeah. And this is where I'm I'm really all in now. (laughs) Yeah. And... What's incredible, I do want to say that, actually, no, I lied. There was one dude in leather in the gang because there's one guy, he's the tall guy who looks sort of like a young um, uh, Lance Henriksen, kind of, and it's weird because they give him a leather vest that's three sizes too small and leather pants that are four sizes too big, Yes, which makes for an interesting outfit, but um, but yeah, Mace Jackson's a bit of a puss, we find out as the film goes on. Like He talks tough. Yeah, in his, in his black and stonewashed denim, but he can't really deliver the goods because they're at, they're in a warehouse, and he gets punched out in what has to be the fastest gang like gang dis- gang dissolving in cinema history. Like that gang turns on each other at the drop of a hat. Yeah. <laughs> it's Later. incredible. Oh, um, God. and then uh, Bobby Boucher gets shot, and <laughs> what's great when Bobby Boucher gets shot is he looks almost like a wooden display at, you know, those shooting galleries when like the, the you know, like in, the, what's that movie, A Magnum Force during the shooting competition with Harry and, and the, uh, ironically, with, uh, with Hutch. Oh, yeah. Or was it, Star- no, it was Starsky? It was Starsky, not Hutch. Um, ironically, there's the connection. Well, no, that's not really a connection. It's more my connection. I'm rambling now. <laughs> it's a good but, one, though. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, when Bobby Boucher gets shot, his hands are up and he's frozen and he drops back like a wooden display at a shooting gallery. <laughs> he does. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um I love when our teenage uh Angel of Vengeance decides he's he wants to to destroy. And what's great is he's got an incredible arsenal in this house, it should be said. Oh yeah. But not only does he load up on automatic weapons, but he loads up on cassette tapes. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> you gotta
1: have your priorities, man.
2: B A S F Yeah. For life. Is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah man. <laughs> awesome. Um and uh and then Mace and then after this it's weird because Mace he ditches his uh his denims, and he looks sort of like a, a Spaniard porno pirate with this red wine-colored shirt.
1: Yeah, what the fuck?
2: It was really great, man. I don't know if too many bikers that rocked out look, but, yeah. you know. Oh, he was a fan or not a biker, so maybe that's why. <laughs> the buccan- and we get a great buccaneer look coming back. Buccaneer. <laughs> yeah, just bringing it back John Miller style, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a pretty good van explosion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's and- good. What's great is when the, the teenage angel of vengeance shows up at their their spray painted devil trailer, um, and he starts he blows up the van. And it's great because he takes off his shirt and sticks it in the fucking gas tank, lights it on fire. This fat dude, one of the gang, jumps out of the trailer and starts shooting at nothing, <laughs> like literally at nothing. He just starts shooting, and that's great. But but then what makes what is one of the high water marks of stunt driving in film history. They get in the car to drive off, and I'm not lying, this is the worst driving I have ever seen in history, in cinema history. This car probably had been out of of park for two seconds. (laughs) Two seconds, literally. It smashes into a tree and fucking explodes. (laughs) Like They ha- they couldn't have been going more than five miles an hour.
1: Somebody finally topped Gator from uh, Truck Turner. They, this
2: has the crown, man. The vanners take the fucking circle, takes the square here. Um, so th- we get a lot of explosions. Vans, motorcycles, trailers, uh, fuck everything going up yeah. here.
1: It's an all-out action bonanza. It is. It's a
2: buffet. <laughs> it's like a Ponderosa, man. And we're getting all sorts of meat here. It's fantastic. Um The Teenage Angel of Vengeance does a good Reb Brown yell when he says Mace (laughs) at one point, which is pretty great. And then Mace, being the villain that he is, uh, he doesn't pull out out his, um, what are those pirate swords called? I fucked up my joke. Um, With the handle. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Like the the rounded fucking. Scimitar? Not a scimitar. Like that's like the handle's got the rounded protective shield for the the handle. Yeah, I can't think of what the anyway. Called. He pulls out a switchblade. <laughs> yeah. Pulls out a switchblade. Which is critical. It, which is critical. <laughs> Um at this point I had forgotten all about the killer to be honest. I was kind of excited with with this chain of events. Yeah,
1: that's the weird thing, is you do totally forget about the whole slasher element in that like in like this twenty minutes.
2: Yeah, because it just comes out of nowhere. It goes bananas in no time. And then the film ends and it's got this great creepy McCreeperson shot of someone watching some children do baton. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, Jesus. It, it, like it, 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 mo-
1: Yeah, in the modern era that does not translate well.
2: No, not at all not at all so
1: those are my notes yeah, those are good man i just got wiping tears away from my eyes oh man yeah this film is so 80s man i mean my i immediately grew a rat tail and threw my skid pants on <laughs> <Whew>. jesus <laughs> i was looking for my bk nights.
2: yeah my well, like yo <laughs> wow
1: um yeah uh, you know I talked about the code a little bit the, the bed scene between Roland and Marie man is <laughs> it's it's up there with some of the worst written stuff I've ever seen <laughs> in cinema. <laughs> i mean it's youtube cliff worthy big time some of the dialogue roland uh roland uh, martell delivers is so bad
2: oh, i didn't know his first name was roland
1: yeah roland martell roland martell <laughs> Martel. some of the dialogue he delivers is just it's it's awful but it's so good in that it, in it's awfulness you know maybe you should watch out i think there's a sexual pervert about or something like, yeah. it's like jesus um, oh, man. But, uh, yeah, the girls reminded me of a lot of the girls I went to school with. This was kind of like the era. I was in high school. I just started high school in 87, 88. So um, a lot of girls look like this, uh, although they were younger. 15 years <laughs> younger, maybe. <Yes>. <laughs> I was thinking, i got a note on here. It says, our killer has killer reverb on him, man. That's a, <laughs> my, my note says, check your podcast equipment, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I got to check his settings. <laughs> But yeah, you're right, man. The film is surprisingly bloodless in a weird way, and I don't understand that because it goes so bananas on the back end. It's like, why not just be bananas on the front end too?
2: They turn it up. They turn it up to eleven, bro.
1: Yeah. It's like they were watching the dailies or something. Like, you know what, man? This this movie could be kind of boring. We better step it up.
2: We're fucking up the ante quick. We got 20 minutes left. Let's go for broke.
1: Yeah. Like, what's popular? How about one man against everybody films? You know. <laughs> Jesus. I also should say Judy's pretty hot, too. Judy Marino. I think she's played by Sue Ann Siemens. Nice. Almost everybody in this film, almost everybody in this film, is this is their only credit. I
2: know. It's amazing.
1: I don't think we've ever done a film where almost everybody in the film has one credit. <laughs> and that's saying something. We've covered some pretty, you know, Low fucked up Low grade stuff. fucking stuff. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, I like the gang a lot, too. And the movie is a fun curiosity. I mean, it's kind of silly, and it has that great 20, 30 minutes or so. It has some good moments, too, but the slasher aspect of it is really bizarre. It's like the weakest element of the film.
2: It's weak because there's no, um, there's no gore or blood to go with. There's no punctuation on it. But,
1: and the killer looks awful. Yeah, the
2: camo, he's like a... It's, it's awful. Yeah, it's I a mean, fat dude in camo.
1: It's funny, but it's awful. And uh, like you, you know, you made that great <laughs> statement where you know, he, like he really takes a gamble where he belly flops onto the car, you know. So, but it's true, man. I mean, it nice. it's it's really silly, and and so, but but it does have these great moments of eightiesness uh, to them that are are really great. That whole action sequence, all that stuff. I I have notes for that stuff, but you hit it all in the head, so there's not really a lot I can add to it. Oh, aside the man. fact that the movie's just. It, I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like, you know, it's it's fun, it's worth a watch, but for some people it's gonna be awful. And but you know, I know Steve. Until the last twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. I know Steve. I know Nick. And I, I know what his taste in films his taste in films is a lot like our taste in films. Yeah. So I see why he picked the two films he picked. You know what I mean? I mean, and there's some other films I know that uh, Neck wanted to pick and stuff, but there's actually a couple that we're hanging on to to cover with Neck at some point. Yeah. Steel Justice and a yeah. few others. A few others. Steel Justice is going to have some great <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just insane. Amazing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people are finally getting into that one because it's available on Netflix Instant here. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's on It's on in the States. So a lot of people are breaking really the thunder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really love the uh, the the action beats and the insanity of the arsenal and stuff. Of course, I, I saw the cassettes, but I didn't make a note. But I thought that's pretty awesome too. Um, it does have weird payoffs. Uh, I don't really understand the whole. I mean, outside of the red herring itself, the whole German nurse slash.
2: I know. I was wondering why was she German? What did
1: that mean? Why was she German? And why does she have a retarded son? I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Outside of the fact that it's you know it's an obvious red herring, right? So yeah, this total silliness. But you know, the film it's it was an interesting visit down eighties memory lane. Uh, I'd never seen it before. I wouldn't consider it. I almost don't consider it a slasher. I almost consider it more just a, a horror a, like a horror film slash exploitation film of some sort.
2: It's a curio piece, is what it is. I, I don't think it really fits into. If not for the 25 minutes in this, I would say you know, it's okay. It's inexplicably somehow I was entertained despite the lack of blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it would be worth a watch maybe if someone had nothing to watch. But yeah, it's just I, I don't know of any other movie that shifts gears <laughs> like this does from one genre that was so big in the 80s to another genre that was so big in the 80s. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's It's really bizarre. It really is. It's very strange. And all the talk of Satan and believing in God and stuff, especially between like the preacher and Roland at one point, man, it's pretty, it's pretty I don't know what I believe. It's very, it's a very, very strange. Uh, this is some strange dialogue. Some of the dialogue is just, you can just tell these are non-actors delivering dialogue because they're delivering it in that way non-actors only can, you know, <laughs> yeah. that it's very written. It feels written. like It's written. <laughs> you know, an actor can take written dialogue and make it feel organic. Whereas a non actor takes written dialogue and it sounds like, you know, 20 kids in a classroom reading a school play. Or beings
2: from another planet trying to understand what this <laughs> yeah. human thing called emotion is.
1: Yes. <laughs> like playing Mad from Outer Space or something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it was fun. I just, uh, I was really expecting the slasher and I get that for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but then I'd get this other film that I, here's what it ultimately comes down to. I wish that 20 minutes was the actual film. I yeah, wish. or
2: Or that the, the horror the slasher aspect had have been still nasty and gory yeah because then we would have had like we would have got to have our cake and eat it too yeah
1: yeah that's true that's true it would have been good but I think that the bonkers action film is actually better than the slasher film in this respect but that's that's oh, all my notes really
2: oh it is and the thing of it is the reason it tastes so sweet is because it comes out of nowhere I know it's it's insane <laughs> so yeah my uh, my make or break is the last 20 minutes this film It really, I mean, if there's ever been a make, like a scene or, you know, a sequence in a film that made a film or kept a film afloat, it's the last 20 minutes of this film. You know, because like I said, somehow I was still kind of, I I didn't hate it. And like I said, I have a low tolerance these days for for middling 80s slashers, but I had my head above water still, even despite, even without thought that I would have probably given it a passing grade. Um, but the last 20 minutes is just, is just inc- it's worth the price of admission, man. It's so fucking great. <laughs> yes. um, fucking, what's his buccaneer there? Uh, Mace <laughs> holding his fucking leg, doing the, the fucking Harlem shuffle back and forth through the woods, man. <laughs> trying to find his switchblade. It's uh, it's great, man. Um, MVT is the Biker Gang, or the Vanner Gang. Yes. I think they're great. The mm-hmm. Civil War Enthusiast, uh, the Leather other man with tops too too small and bottoms too big. Mace Jackson with his two tone denim. Nice fat bearded dude. Patience my ass. <laughs> just just a great gang of devil worshipping vanners. Um, my score for the film. Uh, I'm gonna go. God, I love the last twenty minutes. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna go six point five because nice. It may seem a little bit high, but I felt like this film would have kept it above water in sort of the five point five territory. Mm-hmm. And then that last twenty minutes is so fucking bonkers that it, it adds a whole point on its own.
1: Right, right. I I can see that. We're we're pretty much on the same page with this one. Uh, my make or break is also the the uh, the Rambo moment, as I always call these <laughs> moments, where it just turns into a Rambo film all of a sudden. But it's really great and insane. I, I wish more of the film was that, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Or like you it, would say, have been, it
2: would have been Pantheon, I think, If dare I say, if it had been all like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know why they just didn't go completely nuts with it. I mean, really, they didn't have nothing to lose. It only cost $85,000 to make this movie. Oh, wow. So, you know, for $85,000, it doesn't look bad. It looks pretty good. Yeah, pretty good because that's low budget, man. I mean, jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, my MVT is uh, also the gang, uh, particularly the fact that one of them decides to be a Civil War reenactor. I don't know where the <laughs> hell that, that logic comes from, but it's amazing. <laughs> you got one that's obviously a prince fan and and he's obviously <laughs> in the early 80s it's obvious he was into coca-cola clothes <laughs> you know and then you get the fat dude and nobody really nobody really knows what he's into <laughs> no he's into yellow fucking t- roller skating t-shirts man <laughs> their trailer is amazing yeah like you say i mean if, if you want to hide out and be a good gang and you and you're this devil worshiping gang i'm gonna hint for you don't spray paint 666 on your trailer kind of gives Large a, red fucking numbers <laughs> kind of gives away where you're at bro yeah <laughs> but yeah i really love the gang my score is just a little bit lower than your 6.25 and a lot of that is the heaviness that heavy of the 6.25 maybe like a point and like a point two five, or or no, like a 1.25 or maybe even a full point more than that is uh shit i don't even know what i'm saying at this point <laughs> let's just put it this way that 20 minutes or 30 minutes there that gives it a lot of cred for me yeah. and it would make me highly recommend it to people and tell people to hang in there because i think a lot of people are going to be like you and and and, and like i was starting to feel during this one i've seen a lot of slashers well it's one of my favorite genres we've talked about this before mm-hmm. um but once you're it's like any genre like kung fu or giallo or anything when they're boring it, it's really rough and people will tell you that they're great and you're like, "Well, I don't see what's so great." And I can see why Neck likes this one now.
2: It is a total Neck film.
1: Yeah, it is because it's it's bonkers. It's just nuts. It's like, "What the fuck? What the what the fuck just happened?" To the point to where I rewound it because I'm like, "Did I miss something? Did something turn this film turn this <laughs> film into this film because I'm, I almost feel like I'm watching something else." But anyway, uh, yeah, but 6.25 good times and uh, great picks from the, the back of Force, what it is Neck. In the thunder. Yeah, so that is the big show. That is everything. Excellent. So (coughs)
2: check out our sister shows, Silver and Gold, Show Show, OTC, Amicus, and Shails from the Skeleton Closet.
1: Podcast on fire. Also, check out Silver and Gold for Will's rendition of Here I Go Again, which was pretty amazing. Uh, I have to say.
2: I got sold short because Lo- Loaf had to play it through his um, yeah. his phone. Still pretty good, though. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with, with where I placed. But, uh, <laughs> you know, because Chris really brought the thunder uh, on this week's episode. Oh, yeah.
1: Chris? I haven't heard this week's episode.
2: Yeah, Chris Baker. Uh, oh, did he? The candlestick maker. He brought a really good rendition. And, of course... I know James did. Speaking of the thunder down under, James
1: is fucking incredible. His version was amazing because it involved silver and gold and he even gave us a mention in there yeah i gotta give it up there's no shame in, in losing to the best <laughs> my favorite part about uh, james is and i haven't heard chris's yet so i can't say but chris is good he, my, get, he delivers like blood sweat and tears my favorite part of james is that he says that he went to the the shed or the garage and asked you know, his wife <laughs> to do it because he's embarrassed <laughs> yeah i know he's <laughs> like, like he's got this shame involved in it <laughs>
2: yeah it's incredible and your wife walks in in that moment and you're just belting out a "White Snake," and it. it's like, how do you explain that? And they think we're just idiots. <laughs> you know, it's great, man. But uh, yeah, so check that out. Um, check out Sina uh, Awesome, Action Attraction, Married with Clickers, Paleo Cinema, Girls on Film, Glee, can- Girls on Film. What's going on with them? And they haven't been around for a while.
1: I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if they've officially hung it up or if they're just working not. on things. If they, if they need to, well, I mean, I don't know if they need to, but at some point, you know, we might have to drop them from the roll call because I, they just kind of disappeared. I hope not either. Yeah. I really like the show, and uh, they should really get back to it. But scheduling had, can be a nightmare.
2: They had, a, Yeah, the people all over the world, literally. They had a corner of the world, a market that was just interesting because it was women talking about genre film and women who know film talking about film not yeah. just genre film but they covered the gamut of film and it was a great show
1: mm-hmm. so
2: just a shame that the, the schedule didn't work but speaking of great women on great shows Glee cast yes there we go family movie night 35 millimeter heroes I always want to say dig it bitches after I say that <laughs> um Chin sugar versus punter night of living podcast big red podcast better in the dark v cinema criterion cast um uh, proje- uh projection booth mondo film Love that album. Movie matchup. And I have to add it now. And it's not, to, it's not the generous lovers. It's uh, the hopeful romantics. <laughs> the easy lovers. Easy lovers cast. <laughs> <laughs> hopeful romantics. Check out. Speaking of romantics, check out our favorite couple in the great state of Texas. Dylan and Christine of Paris Cinema fame. ParisCinema.net. Um, subscribe. They are dear friends of ours, dear friends of the show, great magazine, great people. Check out Nightmare TV. Speaking of dear people that we love, our favorite red-suited gentleman. Um, we Are Young Monster, uh, Teleport-City.com, uh, A Man, A Kid, A Pony, which is, of course, Ryan's podcast. i got to put that near the top next time. These are all dot .vlogspot.com, Gentleman's Guide to oh – no, GGTMC, sorry, whoops – Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris, Ate My Baby, Fist of b and a Magonzo, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, uh, Deathrattle.net, LightningBugsLayer.com, We Like Stuff Too, Hero Never Dies, The Freaking Awesome Network, Feed My Ears, which is, of course, a Facebook group uh, that John started. A great music talk over there. And our sponsors, Diabolic DVD, com cinema dash de dash bizarre dot com promo code gentleman ten percent off your orders omg dash entertainment dot com promo code ggtmc ten boulevard movies dot com camera obscura facebook where there's a lot of stuff always going on twitter dot com backslash gtmc large william a pickle of ten bob freelander uh, and anyway, also I'm forgetting uh, <laughs> iTunes reviews and <laughs> That's it.
1: Yeah, all right. All right, so next week is the uh, Boulevard Movie Show. So, uh, you want to give everybody an idea what we're covering?
2: Yes. It was my number 2 film from last year. A <laughs> film I'm very proud to say comes from my motherland, Canada, and to those of you you're going to get it late, but to all my fellow Canadians, um, I want to wish them a very happy Canada Day. Yes. Um, I love my country. I love I'm so proud to be from here. Um, I love that our community has a lot of great Canadians in it, so hopefully everyone had a very happy Canada Day eating pancakes, drinking maple syrup, (laughs) um, wearing toques, and all that good stuff, or toboggans. Um, And since this will probably come out in a couple of days, I want to wish you, my dear friend, as well as all of our our dear American listeners and friends, a very happy 4th of July. Um, Yeah, everybody's getting uh, patriotic this week. Yeah, man, and uh, you know, I love I love your country. I love your people. Um, I have so many great friends in your country, and uh, you know, I hope everyone has a very safe and happy Fourth. And uh, don't forget to listen to James Brown that
1: day. Yes, we'll be uh, for you guys. Eat pancakes and drink maple syrup. We uh, uh, drink copious amounts of soda and uh, clog an artery with hamburgers and hot dogs. Some chocolate covered bacon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's our show for next week, Boulevard. Oh, I didn't say what we we're covering. Oh, yeah, did, did you? No, I don't know if you did. I got
2: fucking <laughs> off on the, the, the patriotic tip, yo We're going to be covering a film that uh, was number two uh, from last year for me, uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh Incendi, which is a tremendous film. I can't wait to cover it with Sammy.
1: Yes, looking forward to it. on blue. Yeah, right. checking it out next week. I haven't seen it, and I meant and I've been to, of course, since you mentioned it on your top ten. Haven't got around to it. Now I have a reason. So here we go. Alright, uh, uh, okay, that is the show Alright, with that I'll say adios. adios
0: Thanks for listening You can find the gentleman At ggtmc.com You can call the gentleman At 206-666-5207 And you can email the gentleman At midnightcinema At gmail.com